Hello and welcome back to Historical, where we're doing history with a difference by diving into words that have shaped the world. Today we've got famous phrases for anyone who likes aggressive motivational speeches, show tunes, or not dying in aeroplanes. If any of those categories apply to you, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, tell a friend, and join us on social media. If you don't fall into any of those categories, please join us anyway, but maybe also avoid air travel for a while. If you've ever had the kind of day at work that led you straight into the arms of your local watering hole for a stiff one, chances are you've had the kind of conference with your friends that starts with a round of gin martinis, lingers over the size of your boss's ego, seriously, how does he fit it indoors, and ends with someone called Larry telling you not to burn your bridges. And then you stagger home for a little cry, and whilst eating leftover pizza from a soggy box and scrolling through YouTube shorts, Tony Robbins tells you to burn your boats. So now you're a little bit sad, a little bit squiffy, and very confused about what you are and aren't meant to be setting on fire. Burning your boats is supposedly a good idea, meaning you've made the stakes so high that you have no other choice but to succeed. Burning your bridges, on the other hand, refers to making choices that can't be undone and is usually bad. The short answer is burn nothing. It's not safe, it makes a lot of mess, and whilst you will solve your immediate frustrations, it will only be because you've replaced them with the far more pressing issue of being in jail. And even though they might seem to be contradictory pieces of advice now, burning your bridges and burning your boats are actually expressions that used to mean something very similar. One of the early contenders for an origin story comes from about 711 CE, when Tariq ibn Ziyad led a troop of Muslim forces in an invasion of Visigoth Hispania, the area that is today Spain and Portugal. Tariq had what we might mildly call an autocratic management style. He didn't go in for team building, arts and crafts, yoga in the morning, and talking sticks. When his troops crossed the Strait of Gibraltar, he ordered them to burn their boats so that the only options were victory or death. This, I should add, was supposed to be very motivational. Pinterest had not yet been invented. He nailed his point home with, according to some sources, a very pretty speech, explaining why setting the fleet on fire was not, in fact, a completely ludicrous decision. Oh, my warriors, he said, whither would you flee? Behind you is the sea, before you the enemy. You have left now only the hope of your courage and your constancy. Remember that in this country, you are more unfortunate than the orphan seated at the table of the avaricious master. Your enemy is before you, protected by an innumerable army. He has men in abundance. But you, as your only aid, have your swords. And as your only chance for life, such chance as you can snatch from the hands of your enemy. If the absolute want to which you are reduced is prolonged ever so little, if you delay to seize immediate success, your good fortune will vanish. And your enemies, whom your very presence has filled with fear, will take courage. Put far from you the disgrace from which you flee in dreams and attack this monarch who has left his strongly fortified city to meet you. Here is a splendid opportunity to defeat him, if you will consent to expose yourselves freely to death. Do not believe that I desire to incite you to face dangers which I shall refuse to share with you. In the attack, I myself will be in the fall, where the chance of life is always least. 
This isn't the only example of where this phrase might have come from, which just goes to show that humans have been weird for most of history. Cortés famously scuttled his ships when he invaded Mexico, claiming his men would be far more motivated to ruthlessly conquer the interior if the only other choice was dying. On the other hand, there's some evidence to suggest that he actually did this to stop a mutiny, so it may be less inspiring speech and more self-preservation, which, given some of the things we know about Cortés, checks out. Speaking of mutinies, the mutiny on the bounty is another pretty famous example of burning one's boats, although they also had slightly less than admirable reasons. In 1789, after a miserable few weeks at sea, and possibly some unverified bullying and mild starvation enforced by the captain, the master's mate and most of the crew rebelled, chucked the captain and his friends into a little boat, and set them adrift. Eventually, the mutineers split into two groups, one of which set up camp at Pitcairn Island. They set the bounty alight, although we hit murky territory as to whether this was a collective decision to avoid being found, or a single man's act of arson. Either way, I suppose it demonstrates a kind of commitment to cause. No one ever said it had to be a good cause. As a sidebar, they didn't actually have a great time on the island and most of them died anyway. So they maybe weren't making the point they thought they were. Julius Caesar should also get an honourable mention here, although this one might be more legend than fact. According to some stories, during Caesar's campaign into Britain, He noticed that his men were looking all nervy and queasy, and ordered them to burn the ships they had arrived on. This is where we get the famous full version of the phrase, the one motivational speakers are so partial to, because he supposedly said to his men, if you want to take the island, burn the boats. Except, obviously, in Latin. He doesn't actually tell the story himself in any of the personal histories he wrote, so it may not be completely true, but it was a very popular legend. If you're looking for a reason for this that's a little bit more robust than it's a catchy line, you'll be pleased to know that burning boats pop up, or down, all over Greek and Roman mythology. What the Romans are almost definitely responsible for is the motivational adjacent line, burning your bridges. Except, of course, they said do, we say don't. It was a very popular military strategy with the Romans to burn the bridges they'd arrived over leaving them with no option but to carry on forward. It also left the enemy with no chance of sneaking up behind them. This was quite effective to a degree, but then the Romans also used to watch gladiators hack each other to pieces for fun, so it's all relative. Because humans really like to have the option to say the same thing in increasingly convoluted and differently interpreted ways, you don't have to stick to burning methods of transport. You can also cross the Rubicon, which is a bold action that can't be undone and is another one courtesy of Julius Caesar, who had a very colourful life until he was brutally murdered by his closest friends. Before he took full control, he quite literally crossed the Rubicon River with his army, which was forbidden at that time. Never one to do things in half measures, he reportedly coined another phrase as he crossed, the die is cast, or in Latin, elea iacta est. This basically means that once you've thrown the dice, there's no going back. It's very similar to burn the boats, except he was saving that, and he probably didn't have boats at the Rubicon. The dyer's cast is a catchy phrase, but it does have all the potential to make you sound like a pretentious chop in casual conversation. In that case, you can say, you've passed the point of no return, which has its roots in air navigation, 
It usually refers to the point at which an airplane no longer has enough fuel to return to wherever it took off from and has to carry on to the next landing site. It can also mean the point at which the pilot of an aircraft in distress has to make a decision that can't be reversed, or the point on a runway at which the plane has to become airborne or crash. For example, in 1927, when Charles Lindbergh flew the Spirit of St. Louis on the first solo non-stop transatlantic flight from Long Island to Paris, there was more uncertainty than you'd really like as to whether the plane would be able to take off before that point once it was fully loaded. At a certain point on the runway, if it hadn't taken off, it wouldn't have had enough distance left to actually slow down and come to a safe stop without crashing and or exploding. In show business, of course, the point of no return is Act 2 of Phantom of the Opera, when the creepy but still dishy musical serial killer in the basement has murdered too many people and sung too many duets to resist kidnapping the ingenue and forcing her into marriage-slash-slavery underneath the stage of the Paris Opera House. All of which just confirms that neither aviation nor acting are the career for me. So now you know, you don't want to burn your bridges, you do want to burn your boats, you have no control over the dice, and aviation in the 20s was not for the faint-hearted. Thank you for joining this episode of Historical. If you enjoyed yourself, please head over to your streaming platform of choice, subscribe so that you never miss another episode, and leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to tell cool stories. You can also come and find us on Instagram and Twitter at historical underscore podcast and join the Facebook group, which is an excellent place to tell us which words you'd like to hear next. Join us again for more words that shape the world every Tuesday.